media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're having your seat, honest, how many of you, the second song, that is the first time that you've ever heard that or sung that? Just a few, just a few. We have, we have a lot of young, I mean, of old souls in here then. That's great. And I hope that you enjoyed that. It's just a, a, it wasn't Easter until that song was sung and growing up. It was usually done by a choir in a big anthem style. And, um, but I just appreciate how beautifully you did that this morning. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 10.23, and then we're going to be going back to the Gospel of Mark and actually going through the what we would call the Easter story or the events of that Easter story. Now, last week we spent a lot of time talking about how God was working one big story. If you walked away last week with really a, a kind of consciousness of and a reality that God is working one big story, and yet... The difficulty of our faith is that sometimes we're at that ground zero. Or, to use another term, we're living it in a real time frame. And so sometimes it's hard for us, not so much to see the past and the faithfulness of God in the past, but kind of really resting in the assurance of the faithfulness of God in the future. And and I want you to know this morning, it has very, very little to do with the emotional love that you might feel toward your God. It really has a little, you know, not super tied uh, to your understanding of the scriptures in the sense that they're just this mystery that you haven't figured out. A lot of it is because we're on this page and God is writing the story for the ages. And so this morning we come to a place where we find that the difficulty of the disciples' life, where they were living in real time, they were living at ground zero, and even though God had displayed this in the past in the Old Testament, Jesus had very much enunciated that to the disciples when he sat down with them many, many, many times. The problem wasn't that they didn't want to believe it was just that it was really hard to get the circumstances that was right in front of their eyes to line up with the promises that were made. I mean, it's a lot easier for us to look back at prophecies and see how uh, all these prophecies about the coming of Christ and how he was going to be born in Bethlehem and even the Easter prophecies, how he was going to die on an old rugged cross for us. It's easier for us to kind of look back and see how Christ fulfilled that than when it comes into our own life. I have a lot of books, and you know me, I've admitted before, I confess that I love charts and maps and that kind of stuff. And I have books that have charts in them at home, and it says, here's all the prophecies and promises of the Old Testament, and here's how they have been fulfilled in the New Testament. And I will linger over that. I'm going like, man, this is like a playground for me. I love to see what God has done. And sometimes it can be that technical. Here's the prophecy, here's the fulfillment. And we begin to understand that. But when we begin to come to our own life, as we said last week, that's where the rub often happens in our own life. Not so much looking back, but looking forward. Not that we're not a people of faith. Not that we're not even a people sometimes of great faith. But that our faith has to be lived out in real time, and that's the difficulty. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. It's still a mystery. Uh, I certainly have my thoughts of who it was, and 
And other theologians would, would say, and pastors would say the same thing, but we don't know. But the author of Hebrews wrote this, and it really is this high call of Christ for us who have put our faith and trust in the work of Christ. Christians, Christ followers, and at times this can be pretty intimidating. Look at Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. Now, if I just ask you, do you believe that? I think you would say yes. And yet, do you see the challenge in the first part of that verse? Let us hold fast. What? The confession of our hope, this belief. And then he adds that he has to add in these words without wavering. (laughs) There's a part of this, and, and please hear me, I'm, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious whatsoever. I would say he didn't have the without wavering, because maybe I could do that first part, hold fast the confession of our hope, knowing that from time to time, that as we always explain, our faith sometimes is on that roller coaster, and there's days that we have great faith, believing faith, and there's other times, because we're living in real life, and, and circumstances are right in front of our face, that sometimes we're challenged in our faith. He tells us here, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. But then he tells us, not so much the secret, because if it's a secret, he wouldn't tell us the answer. But he tells us the one thing that will help us in our journey to do that. And what is that one thing? He answers it at the end of the verse. For he who is promised is faithful. Folks, that's the part of the Easter story that is so powerful for our lives today. It is foundational, uh, foundationally theological in its nature and, and that our sin date was paid for. For those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, there's this theological reality of what Easter is all about and we do not dismiss that. That is the very foundation. But I want you to understand there's a practical part of Easter also of living out your present faith. It's not just what has been done for you and that we will experience now in the fullness of God's time, but for daily living, for those who are truly trying to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for those who are really trying to do that, is that just that you and I have this on our shoulders and this is a weight to see how spiritual we can be, how faithful we can be? No, we have responsibility in this. But the answer And the hope of Easter is that it can be built upon what prompts he has been faithful to. Truth is, we waver quite a bit. Not only are we prone to wavering, sometimes we waver quite a bit. We don't mean to waver, I don't think. I I think somebody who really loves Jesus, I don't think that we wake up in the morning going, you know, today I want to waver. (laughs) But in the reality of real-time living... We waver. As much as we want to hold fast, it seems like the uncertainty of the future brings about and results in a little bit of wavering. Now, how do we solve this? And what does Easter, this day that we celebrate today, have to do with it? Well, in a word, everything. I really think that we can take this wavering and this how do we defeat this and that we can line it up with what we celebrate today and that it just is like this. You see, in the resurrection, we find that he who promised is faithful. Amen? 
In the empty tomb, we find that he who promised is faithful. Now, for you and I, again, how easy it is to look historically back and go, okay, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this about Christmas, I believe this about Easter. I I believe that those Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in the work of Christ. And yet, if we do not transfer that into the the power of the resurrection into our daily life, then we have missed, really, this, this practical application of Easter into our lives. I'm so glad that I don't have to understand the fullness of theology to understand that when I've put my faith and trust in Christ, that my sins have been completely forgiven and that his righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ, has been put on me. I'm glad that I don't have to have a brain that is so big and an understanding that is so deep that the only way that that's going to happen is if I can comprehend it. I'm glad that that's bigger than me. And yet there's this practical side of Easter that I don't want you to miss this morning. And I think if we can go back historically and we can go to the Gospel of Mark and we can follow along with that first Easter Sunday morning and we can see the dilemma of their wavering. People that loved Jesus and had committed their lives to Jesus and yet in the real time of Easter events found themselves not holding fast but wavering. Mark chapter 14. So, so we're going through Mark for the last several months. We're going to fast forward and we'll take the Easter story today from Mark's account. We begin to look at the promises that Jesus makes to his disciples and, and what it would have been for them real time and yet still connected to the Old Testament of these prophecies and promises of God. And look in Mark chapter 14. Now, this is before Easter Sunday morning. This is kind of a setup days before. And listen to what Jesus promises in real time to his disciples. Mark 14, 27. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Do you notice what he just did? He took Old Testament prophecy and he brought it into the real time. He said, this is going to happen, guys, in the next couple of weeks. You're going to fall away. You're going to scatter. But it's already been predicted. I, I want you to know that this was purposed to happen, that this has already been prophesied. But you're going to live it out in real time. Now look at the next verse, verse 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I want you to notice two promises there. What are the two promises that Jesus gives to his disciples in real time? Certainly based upon Old Testament promises and prophecies, but he gives it to them in real time because that's when they're living right there. Two promises. I will rise from the dead and and I will meet you in Galilee. And the next couple days, will those two promises be challenged in the hearts and the minds of the disciples? As they see him hang on a cross and die, does this whole thought that even though he said he was going to rise again on the third day, do you think that that was challenged in their real-time living? Yeah. Even though they wanted to hold fast to this promise, do you think that that holding fast came with some wavering? See, here we have people who have committed their lives to Christ. 
They love Christ. I, I think that you can clearly say that even Peter, who denies Christ three times, he loves Christ. There's really nothing wrong with the emotional level of his commitment to Christ on a love level. He wants to follow Christ. And yet we see this wavering in real time, even though Christ has made these two promises. Do you think that the, that the disciples wanted to hold fast to these promises? Do you think that the events of the Passion Week challenged them and made them prone to wavering? There's something really significant there, guys. Because when we understand that, when we really grasp that, here's what we understand. We can love Jesus. We can want to follow Jesus. But in real-time faith, everyday living, even as much as we want to hold fast, there's going to be sometimes wavering. That doesn't mean that we're going to be defeated. What it means is that that Hebrews 10.23... That we need to lean more and more and more and more and grasp more and more and more the promise of that verse. That he is faithful to his promises. Fast forward. What happens over the next couple days after Jesus makes these two promises? I will rise from the dead and I will meet you in Galilee. Fast forward. We see that he died on a cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. We see that he is guarded by soldiers and they even seal this tomb to to make sure that none of the disciples come to steal the body and and that somehow he can't escape. So they've done everything humanly possible to make sure this doesn't happen. And then some women come who, who follow Jesus, that love Jesus, come to anoint him because they were not able to finish that preparation on the day that he died and that they put him in the tomb. Jewish law said, okay, you've got to stop work at this point. So they went home, planning to come back days later. Mark chapter 16 now, verse 1 and 2. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices from whom they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Now, I want you to notice something about these women. Are they showing great love? <laughs> they love Jesus. Their love isn't really wavering. But in a way, could we say that maybe their faith is wavering a little bit? What did Jesus say that he was going to do on the third day? Rise again. And yet, what do they come to do? To put ointment on a dead body. I mean, we would be doing exactly what they do. And they're doing it in love and they're doing it in respect because this was the law and this was the tradition and this is how you showed the, the respect to someone who had died. They're doing it for all the right reasons. But there is a little bit of wavering faith if we really want to look at that because Jesus made it really clear. I will rise again on the third day. I mean, don't get me wrong. They come with a sincere act of love, but in real time, it seems the most realistic thing to do. But Jesus had made a promise. So look what happens, verse 3 and 4. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. They see the obstacle there. They're wondering how this is going to work out. They actually get to the tomb, and they're going, look, it's already been moved. Verse 5. 
And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. I think this alarm is is not just fright. I think it's all. I think it's what every one of us, even as followers and believers in Christ, would experience. Oh my goodness, what has happened? This is, Jesus' body is supposed to be right there. That's where we left it the other day. Why is it not there? So this wonderment, this awe, is kind of coming from a lot of different places, I would imagine. And yet, look at the response of this one that God had sent to make a proclamation. It must have been a little bit of fright and a little bit of alarm, because look at the response that this person has, or this messenger has in verse 6. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified? He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they had laid him. I love how Matthew Gospel says this. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. I love Matthew's account of this. He told you this. He made you a promise. This, is, this has been verbally communicated to you. Now go back to Mark chapter 16, verse 7. <coughs> Excuse me. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Now do you see any, something that just, you connect with something that Jesus said before? This messenger says, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you, where? To Galilee. There you will see him. What's the last part of that verse? Just as he told you. All these prophecies, hundreds of years, centuries and centuries, God leading up to this death and crucifixion and then life and resurrection. And yet the disciples in real time heard it from Jesus' own mouth, I will rise from the dead and I'll meet you in Galilee. I make this personal promise to you. And now that he's laid in the tomb for these days, this messenger from God says, go tell Peter, go tell the disciples that he's going to meet them in Galilee just as he told you. Two promises made, two promises kept. In one way, I think that you could would immediately connect the dots to, to Jesus' promises and what was happening right before their very eyes in real time. But look at the description of their reaction in verse 8. And they went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Do these ladies love Jesus? Are, are, Are they really as best as they can, trying to hold fast to the promises of God. And yet in real life, what's right before their eyes at that moment, the circumstances that they experience, that their, their little mind and their little bit of understanding, it overwhelms them, some in awe, some in fright, and they don't know how to hold fast in that moment. And we begin to see them wavering. And it's not just these women. Look at verse 11. They go back, they tell the disciples, and and look how the disciples react 
to this good news. What you and I would say, this is the best news ever. And yet look at the disciples' initial reaction to this news in verse 11. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. I mean, even when Peter and John run to the tomb and see the truth that these women had reported, they they still didn't fully grasp it. I love how the Gospel of John reports this kind of disconnect that happened in their mind and their heart. Now again, do the disciples love Jesus? Yes. Do they want to hold fast to their faith? Yes. And yet in real time, with events that are kind of overwhelming them at the time, look how John describes it in his gospel in John 20, verse 8 and 9. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed for as yet he did not understand the scripture that he might rise from the dead. He, he saw and he believed that he was gone. Has he connected all the dots? No. This is our challenge, guys. Connecting the dots in the past is challenging, but, but it's not overwhelming. I can look at my charts at home. <laughs> Prophesied, fulfilled. Prophesied, fulfilled. And I can go down that chart and I can say, man, look what God has done in the ages. But what about the charts of my own life? And he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Or when that persistent sin comes back into my life and, and, and I'm going, I just feel so guilty. And he says, if you confess it to me, I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you see the strain there? It's not that we don't love Jesus. It's not that we don't want to hold fast without wavering. But when it's real time and it's right in our face and we're overwhelmed by all these different thoughts and emotions and reactions, it's a little bit harder to connect the dots in our own life as it is in the lives of others. I've always thought that as Christians, I mean mature, faithful Christians, I've always thought that we give a lot more, a lot better advice than we live. You know, if a friend comes to you and says, you know, here's what I'm struggling with. We've got it down. Well, here's what the word of God says. And here's what the promise of God says. We are amazing in our wisdom when this promise is for your life. (laughs) But you take my chart out and try to connect the dots of what has been promised and what is being fulfilled. Well, there's special circumstances you just don't understand. This is the Christian dilemma. And I don't think it comes from, okay, we just don't want to follow Jesus. I don't think it comes from, oh, we don't want to love Jesus. I think you can love Jesus really well. And I think you can purpose to hold fast without wavering. And yet the challenges are there. And so what do we do? We do what the scripture says. Remember that he is faithful who has promised. It's not about our strength. It's about the faithfulness of the one who has spoke. I will rise again and I will meet you in Galilee. That's where we rest, guys. Now, are we, do we have human responsibility? Yes. Do we mature in our faith? Does he want us to grow more and more? Yes. But understanding wavering is a part of active faith. Here, we see the disciples. He sees, he believes what he sees, and yet he does not understand. That's the challenge that we face oftentimes 
in the promises of God of our chart, our life. That's the challenge. We, we, we see the things before us. We see the promise of God. We, we want to believe them. And yet it's hard to hold fast without wavering. Because so oftentimes we're just looking back at us. One of the most poignant moments in my entire life was after my dad passed. My mom and dad are Catholic. There's a, a lot of things in their life that uh, they practice. Uh, I won't say it without a meaningful way in their life, but it's a, a little bit more ritualistic and sometimes uh, pr- praying some prayers over and over again. And I'll never forget when dad passed, the conversation that I had with mom as we're talking there, and some of you have heard this before, and my heart broke for my mom. Not only did she just lose her husband, but she said, what if I would have just prayed a few more Hail Marys? What if I just would have prayed a little bit more? What if I wouldn't have done this? What if? And it was all on her. I get that, guys. I, I, I understand that. And yet my heart broke because I wanted to say, Mom, it was never meant to be on you. We hold fast. We, we, we don't waver. Not because we prayed a little bit more, because we, we did a little bit more, but we, we rest in that the promises of God are being fulfilled. We rest in His sovereignty and His greatness. We rest in the power of Easter Sunday morning and the resurrection. I will rise again and I'll meet you in Galilee. It is the faithfulness of Him that is sufficient in the lack of faithfulness of me. Does that make sense? I mean, we begin to grasp that. We begin to understand that. We begin to live that out, guys. And it's amazing. It's amazing how we will be free from a lot of things, sometimes guilt, sometimes this, uh, you know, uh, wondering what God is doing, that we can just rest in his sufficiency. When Christ rose from the game, grave, and when he met his disciples in Galilee, even though they had abandoned him and uh, and still resided in fear. They locked the door. <laughs> These great men of faith locked the door. <laughs> and Christ just comes through the wall. <laughs> no keys. <laughs> uh, it's not back there kind of fiddling. What's that at the door? I don't know. Somebody's fiddling with the lock. No, he just walks in. It showed the power of his promise. Even in the face of their doubts and their fears. And that's where we place our faith today. Not in our ability to perfect this holding fast. It is a call upon our lives, okay? I'm not trying to diminish it. I'm not saying, oh, it doesn't matter if you hold fast or not. No, this is, this is the high call that we found there in Hebrews 10.23. Hold fast without wavering. But guys, you and I will waver. So the sufficiency is in our strength to hold on. The sufficiency is the one who has made the promise. Understand this great truth. From Genesis to Revelation, as we said last week and we repeat this morning, we find over 3,000 promises of God extended to those who have placed their faith in Christ. And all of these promises, every one of them, rise and fall 
on what happened that first Easter Sunday morning. They all rise and fall on, did keep, did God keep these promises? If Christ is not risen, I think we could say that every promise of God shatters. And while Christ's resurrection is one but many promises, it is the one that every other promise will rest upon. Without the resurrection, First John 1 John 1.9 kind of loses his power that, that somehow we're cleansed when we confess our sin and that he's washed us anew. Somehow in Corinthians when it says that we are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus, it loses its power. It all rests, all these promises are in the pinpoint of this head that is Easter Sunday morning and that God kept in faithfulness that Christ rose from the dead. As much for the past, get this, as much for the future. Your hope of seeing that loved one who put their faith and trust in Christ, that hope that one day I'll see my grandma again, that hope that one day I'll see my daddy again, it all rests on Easter Sunday morning, an empty tomb, and a God who is faithful to keep his promises. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why through him we utter our amen to glory, to God in his glory. Do you understand there's two parts there? For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Who is it that made all the promises of God yes? Christ. What is our response? We can say amen. Not just in some kind of religious context. What is amen? We're making this proclamation of truth. Amen. This is the part we live out, guys. We get to live out that amen, not because we are people of great, great faith, but in response to the first part, that every promise has been made yes in the victory of Christ Jesus. And that you and I can hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, even in real time. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. This morning when you came in... I just went through the Bible. I could have taken 3,000 uh, of the different ones. You can open up your, your little promise there. I, I don't know if it's going to be one of those things that you read this and say, man, instantly, yes, Bobby, that's what my real life faith this week, I needed this one. Because they're all different. I mean, some may be repetitive. So if so if... If you and your husband, wives, have the same one, then God probably did that on purpose because there's only a couple repeats. So that means that God really wants to say something to you. Okay? Pay attention really close. I, I, you know, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to kind of put these in the hands that they need to go. We're not trying to, to be overly dramatic here. I just want you to know, guys, these promises, they're true. Because they're true because he is faithful to keep his promises. But now you and I have the challenge to hold fast without wavering to these promises. To hold fast. But even that, when we really look at it, is built upon the strength that he will give us. God, now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've put your trust and faith in him, 
He has empowered you. He lives within inside you so that he says, okay, I know you're wavering, Bobby, but I want to empower you here. And I want to take your mind back to the promises that I've made and kept. So I can take this promise of God and guys, I can claim it in real time faith. Not just, oh, that was a prophecy. Not just, okay, one day. This is true for our lives today. And I pray that on this Easter Sunday morning that you would experience the power of God's promises being yes and amen in the finished work of Christ. We're going to close this morning by singing the song Glorious Day. And you know how we say that uh, the gospel is from Genesis to Revelation is this, this story that goes from here to here. And, and this song really reflects that. It, it kind of starts with the coming of Christ, or, you know, the original coming of Christ, the work of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And then it leads us to dots that are yet to be fulfilled that we look forward to, that one day he will come back. And so we sing this song this morning in reflection of what's already, the promises that have already been fulfilled, but also so that we can hold fast without wavering to the promises that have yet to be fulfilled in our lives, but that we know will because he is faithful. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, as we sing this song, Father, we sing these verses written by men because they reflect, Father, the truths that we know that you have made and Father, that the, the, the events that, Father, you predicted and fulfilled, the promises that you made and you have fulfilled and you are fulfilling. So Father, as we sing this, help us to sing this as a victorious song today. Not because we are people with tremendous faith, but we come to the one who has kept every promise. And that, Father, is where our strength and our faith will lie. We love you and we thank you, Father. And we sing now in victory the story of the ages. And we pray this in the one that made it possible, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.